Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. All right, journey, second part of journey. So life is like a journey, man, isn't it? Full of ups and downs, peaks and valleys. And with this series, we want to prepare you for this journey that life has you on. Because here's the thing, all of our journeys are different. Some of y'all were born in different places. You've got a lot of different circumstances. You've been dealt a lot of different hands. But there are some principles that we can put into practice that no matter what your journey has started like, no matter where your currently journey is or where your journey is going, you can, you can have some solid foundations in the midst of no matter where your journey is going, headed, or where it's currently at. And today, I believe it's one of the most important messages we can say where we are talking about not just the destination you're going to, but here's the thing, answering the question, who the heck are you? Some of you are like, what? No, here's the, here's the thing, right? Answering the question of what is, what is your identity, right? Because honestly, many times we are concerned about the, des- the destination when God is concerned about the kind of person you are becoming, right? We can get so focused on, all right, where does God want me to live? How much does God want me to make? What kind of this and what kind of that? Not many people ask, what kind of people does God want us to be? Many times you can see Jesus' teachings are centered and focused on not what kind of job you're going to have or, or where, how much money you're going to make. All these things that we typically worry about and find our identity in, God is more concerned about making sure you're focused on what kind of person are you becoming. Who are you becoming in this process? Because our culture wants to put on you and tell you stuff like this. Just be true to yourself. Just, just, just find that good little human in you. There's a good little person in you. Just find him and follow your desires. Be true to yourself. But the funny thing is when he says be true, like a, so many of us have no idea who we are. And plus two, how do we even define, like what variables do we even use to piece together how we see ourselves and what our identity is? And it's so funny, right? If someone was to ask you, who are you? How do you define yourself? It would prob- your, your answer would probably, would probably be a conglomeration of probably your race or nationality, your culture, your gender or sexuality, your physical or mental capacity, your family of origin, your age, your relationships, your occupation, your possessions, your religion, your personality, and character. And it would seem based on what we find valuable is typically many times what we associate our, our, our identity with. Now, having an identity saying, my name is John Ware, or I am a pastor, I am the husband of Kristen Ware, these, these aren't bad. Me saying those things doesn't mean I put my full trust in them or build, or, or build my life on them. They're not bad things. They're actually good things. But here's the thing. When a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And I believe we've got a culture of people trying to build their lives on things that are unstable. They're trying to build their lives on identities that honestly 
if you take those things out, then what ends up happening is they'd have no idea who, the, who they are, right? Think about it. If you build your life on what job you have, what happens when that job is gone? When you build your life based on what's in your bank account and how much money you have and how much you possess, what happens when, when what happens in 2008 when it happens again? And people lose everything. What you find is that when a good thing and identity becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And I believe we've got a culture of people. One writer said this, we are in the midst of a cultural identical angst where we are so confused about how we should actually, at the core of our beings, define ourselves. We're looking inward. Inward. Well, maybe it's found inside of me. Maybe there's a good little me inside of me, and that's got to put past, and that's got to push past all of the, you know, haters out there that are trying to define me. Look inside for what my true identity is. Then you got people looking outward. They're building their identities around relationships. I mean, think about how many marriages fail because people build their their identities on someone else. So they are in a a marriage relationship and they find their identity in the in the other person and they say things like I could I could never live with without you you're so you know you you are my life you are my all you are putting a godlike burden on a finite person and expecting that person to play a godlike part in your life but that person was never ever meant to fill so when you build your identity on somebody or something finite, what actually happens is, is when that person or thing fails you, you curse them, and then you're left saying, who the heck am I? And I believe that's why we have a culture filled with, with anxiety and depression. I know those are heavy words, and there's big definitions for, for each of those. But I believe when you have a culture building their identity is who they are, who they are and, forming who, and forming who they are on finite things. When you have a soul that was meant and built for something eternal, the only path it can lead to is depression. Because you realize and see, you could fill your life with anything this world has to offer. But your heart and your soul is too big to fill it with finite things when it was meant to be filled with somebody eternal. So here's the thing. Today, I want to take you on a journey with me as we're talking about this journey. And I want to talk about this journey of who you are. Because I believe today that what Christians need more than anything isn't more knowledge about the Bible. Like, what, John, really? Yes. I believe what Christians need more than anything is an identity check. Is to make sure that we know as Christ followers who we are. Because I believe that many of us are trying to operate and build our, our lives for Christ built on an identity that isn't on Christ. So we follow Christ and then we say things, but secretly we're building our identity on what we have, what we own, or who we love. When we've gotta make sure that as a follower of Christ, our identity is built on him. So we're going to go on a journey together. And I want this to be in three parts. First one's this. 
image. Image. You are, if you're a human being breathing, how many of you here breathing? Good, good. If you're not, we have a safety team. They can help you with that. We'll call them in. But as a human being, you are made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 through 27, this is the creation story. Part of it is, says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. Now, saying you're made in the image of God, for some of you is like, yeah. For those of you who have been in church. Now, for some of you now, you're probably brand new to the faith. You're kind of just like, you know, brand new to this whole church thing, saying you're made in the, in the image of God might just be like, I, I, I don't really understand that. So, so let me break this down to you. One, one scholar says this here about this passage. He says this, Thus we may see that according to Genesis 1, man does not have the image of God, nor is he made in the image of God, but is himself the image of God. Humankind then was created to be a copy or a graphic image of the creator, a formal, visible, and understandable representation of who God is and what he is really like. So, so we can see God's original and pur purpose and intent for human beings in general was to mirror Man, I'm attractive. Just kidding. Just kidding. But we were made to mirror the original and purpose and, and intent of humans was to mirror God, that we were to be his representation that we were made, not just like, but we were made in the image of. And we were made to mirror and be God's example to the outside world. And because of this idea that we're image bearers, throughout the Christian faith, this has been a doctrine that has fueled a lot of what Christianity has done and accomplished. Why? Because being made in the image of God means, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, female, male, rich, poor, ugly, pretty, young, old, if you're breathing, you have value. And some of y'all need to hear that today because you, you are struggling right now with how you view yourself. You literally think yourself as being worthless. And I want to let you know today, if you're breathing, God doesn't see you as worthless. He sees you as made in his image, therefore worthy of intrinsic value and intrinsic worth, not based on your outward circumstances or outward stuff based on the fact of your breathing and you have the handprint and stamp of God on, on you that you're made in his image and you were made to mirror. 
And that's why throughout Christianity, we, we see this doctrine influencing the way Christians act. Think about it, Roman Empire, a corrupt government, a corrupt place that was built on a caste system where if you were rich, you were rich. If you were poor, you were, you were gonna stay poor. Masters, slaves, it was based on classism. And it was basically like, I mean, there was, so, so here's something right. There was this one specific law. It was called exposure, where here's the thing. If you had a baby in that culture and you didn't want it, you could take the baby and take it to the trash heap and put it on there. And it was not against the law. It was like something you could do. Well, Christians who made, who have this understanding that they were made in the image of God and anything breathing is made in the image of God, therefore has intrinsic value and worth, saw this happening and they started going to the trash heaps whenever they heard there was a baby there and started saying, image. Bring that little baby over here. We're gonna love that little baby. We're gonna feed that baby. We're gonna make sure that, that, we're gonna make sure that baby lives. Why? Image. Image bear. Image bear. So for them, it wasn't a fact of, well, is it a boy or girl? Is she healthy, unhealthy? Is she sick or well? It was a fact of, if they're breathing, they're worth, they have value. In the early days of the church, leprosy was very, very prevalent. And for most of culture, it was a stay away from all of those lepers. But a church father named Basil had an idea. He said, what if we build a place to love and care for lepers? They don't have money. They don't even have to pay for it. We'll raise the money. So one of the most famous sermons in that century was, was by Basil's brother, Gregory of Nyssa, who was also a church father. And he, and, and he said this, lepers have been made in the image of God in the same way you and I have and, per, and perhaps preserve that image better than we. So let us take care of Christ while there is still time. Let us minister to Christ's needs. Let us give Christ nourishment. Let us clothe Christ. Let us gather Christ in. Let us show Christ honor. That was the beginning of what would become known as modern-day hospitals, where Christians said, image, 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 image. No matter if you're sick, well, black, white, poor, rich, female, male, if you are made in the image of God, which every human being is, if you have breath in your lungs, you have worth. Man's original intent was to, was to image. Now, we can see in Genesis 1, God, God makes man. But then we see in Genesis 3, it's called the fall. Where we can see God creates this garden and puts, the, and puts Adam, Eve in it and says, this is yours, yours, but there's one tree. Stay away from that tree. And what does and what does Satan do? He takes their focus off of all the thousands and millions of things they can do and focuses on the one thing they can't do. Isn't that the way Satan works? He always wants to get you focused on that thing that God says no to. And here's the thing. We always, and, and then, oh, God's keeping something from us. You know, he's just keeping something from me. No, it's, here's the thing. What, what God prohibits, it's protection. We can look at it as he's holding something back from us, but really it's protection for us. But here's the thing. In Genesis 3, chapter 4, or excuse me, Genesis 3, 4 through 7, we're, we're going to pick up on this conversation that, that Eve is having with Satan, and Satan says this here. You won't certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Also, she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Do you see what Satan said here? He says, don't you know that when you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God? Adam and Eve were already like God. So what did Satan ultimately attack? He attacked their identity. He said, if you eat this, if you just need this, and then you'll be like God. They were already like God. So here's the thing. Adam and Eve, they had an identity crisis. They forgot who they were. And because they forgot who they were, they went outside of God's divine protection order and took a fruit. And here's the thing. When the image, they were made in the image, but what we see, sin Sin mars the image. Sin ultimately is what mars the image of God from it being shown and displayed. Don't we live in a broken world? Isn't this mirror a microcosm of what we feel like our world is right now? Broken, hurting. And what we actually find Romans 5 This is what Paul says when he's talking about the gospel. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And this way, death became all people because all sinned. Sin is what ultimately mars the image of God from being shown and displayed on this planet. And I think in the same way Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan lying to them and saying, do this, then you'll be like God. And it was in in identity crisis that ultimately, you know, took took them off many times, it's we forget who we are is the reason why we settle for less than God's best. Because we have an identity crisis and we say, and Satan, it's not that, here's the, it's, here's the thing, it's not, you know, well, how was I gonna, gonna say it? It's, it's not, and I'm having a brain fart, y'all. Like my brain's like, say the words, and I'm like, I can't say them. I've been traveling and I'm tired, so y'all just hang up with me, okay? Um, here's the thing, it's, it's not if this happened, this happens. There we go, <laughs> Jesus. This just doesn't just happen, this happens. We can't just say, oh, that's what happens in Genesis. What happened in Genesis is the same lies that the Satan told then is the same lies that Satan tells now. The same ones. He'll say things to you like, man, Look, God knows if you sleep with your girl outside of marriage, man, you, 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 you got to test drive the car before you buy it. So now we are equating people to cars. Like God's standard couldn't, couldn't be to keep ourselves sexually pure. That's too hard. And then we kind of come up with, well, you got to test drive a car before you buy it. And really what Satan is saying is to go outside of God's, God's, God's law and do, and, and do what you want because God is trying to hold something back from you. Our original intent was to reflect. And this is why when we turn and live a life of sin, 
we distort the image of God. Here's the thing, if you're a Christ follower today, I wanna remind you of your original identity that you were called to reflect. We're gonna come back to this later. The second one though, image, you were made to image. Secondly, known. Not only does, are you made in God's image, but God knows you. Many times in church, we put this focus on you knowing God. But have you ever thought of even beyond you having a fight night knowledge of God, God has an infinite knowledge of you. That he sees you, he, he knows you, he knows your thoughts, he knows your secrets, he knows your shames, he knows everything about you. I love what David brings up here in Psalm 139. We're gonna read 18 verses of scripture here. Dun, 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 dun. Here's the thing, Psalm 139, one through, through 18. This is David talking here, and he's talking about the, he's creating this mind picture of how God knows us. Check this out. It says, you have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know what I sit when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, O oh Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. If I, uh, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is, a, is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still. Would you just, do you just get the picture here of how intricately God knows you, that you are not, that it's, you're just not called to know God, but you are infinitely known by him. But now here's the thing, not just infinitely known by him. Here's the most amazing fact. You're fully known, yet fully loved. And isn't that what our soul craves? Isn't that what we crave in relationships? That we wanna be fully exposed to somebody, yet fully loved? Isn't that what we crave in relationships, marriage relationships or, friend, or f friendships? It's all good until the flaws start to come out. It's all fine and dandy, peaches and cream. Until some of those flaws start to come out. And then we can tell somebody's love for us based on the kind of love they give us after the flaws are out. The most amazing thing about God is not just that we're made in his image, that we're created to image and resemble him, but the fact of we are fully laid bare before God with our flaws, our shames, our secrets, all the stuff you don't want no one else to know, all the stuff you don't want to tell nobody, all the things you do in secret, you're fully exposed, fully vulnerable, yet fully loved. Something like that's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. 
Y'all, that's the gospel. That's the good news. Is you're fully exposed yet fully loved. Think about how you try to put this godlike burden on different relationships. Where you want to be fully known yet fully loved, yet at the same time, many people fail us, right? Well, God meets your deepest need to be fully exposed yet fully loved as part of your identity, as part of your right. That God knows you, he sees you, and here's the bottom line, God meets us where we are. Don't you love God meets you where you're at? Think about where you were when God met you. Think about where you were at. I know where I was at. I was at a point, I was 15 years old. I thought, I thought my girlfriend was pregnant. I remember where God met, met me. I, re, I remember where I was at. I was in my room, taking a Bible. I said, God, speak to me. <laughs> I was that desperate. I took a Bible out. I was that distraught, and I just opened it. Thank God I didn't open it to, like, Leviticus. <laughs> Thank God I didn't open it to, like, Deuteronomy or something. I opened it, I guess, in God's providence, the First Corinthians chapter, chapter 1, where it said, Praise be to the God of all comfort that comforts us in our trials so we can then comfort other people in their trials. And I felt the overwhelming peace of God override me at that moment. I know where God met, met me, but the incredible thing about God, what you'll even see about Jesus, and Jesus is God. He's the clearest representation of God. What you'll see in the Gospels is Jesus meets people where they're at. Think about, think, think about, think about the Samaritan woman. On the road, Jesus comes up to her and gives her vivid details about her life. Yo, you have five husbands. Or you've had five husbands. Not that you have. You've had five husbands. The details that Jesus knows. Think about Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And he started telling details. Think about the fact of God will meet you where God will meet you here today. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you're at, why you got to the place you're at. All these things you want to throw to God. God, you can use me. I'm this, I'm that. I've, I've God doesn't care about your excuses. He cares about you. He wants you just as you are, jacked up, messed up, shame-filled, sin-filled. All he says is put your hand in my hand, and we'll take care of the rest. And some of y'all today, you need to take that step. At the end of service, I'm going to give you the, 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 the opportunity to give your life to Christ. And some of you today, you need to relish in the fact and accept the fact today you're fully known yet fully loved. So you're made in God's image. You're fully known yet fully loved. And lastly, you're in Christ. This is going to take some time to develop here. So I need your attention. We're going to we're going to kind of dive into some theology here, okay? And I know y'all probably want to sleep, okay? But I'm going to ask you, stick with me, okay? Stick with me today through this, right? Because here's the thing. We can't relish in this fact of that we're in Christ if we don't know exactly who Christ is and the, and the, and the position and title that Christ holds. Hebrews 1.3 says this here. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus is the clearest representation of God. Okay? Whenever Jesus came to earth, he was God on earth, the full representation of God the Father on planet earth. Okay? Then, it's, then it's, it says this here in Colossians 1.15. It says this here, we look at this son, Jesus, and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes it and holds it together like a head does the body. Here's the thing. In Christ, in Jesus, right? Jesus. See, here's the thing. Christianity is ultimately about Jesus. If he, he is, we got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is keeping Jesus the main thing. Christianity gets all wacky, weird, and stupid when you get away from Jesus, okay? Just throwing that out there to you, right? What makes Christianity different from, from you know, Buddhists, Muslims, all, all, all these religions out there? It's Jesus. He's what makes it different. And, and let me tell you how, okay? Christianity believes this. You can't earn your way to God. You can't do it. There's not enough good works you can do. There's not enough good things you can say. There's not, you can't earn it because of your sinful nature, because of the fact you turn from God and you, and, and, oh Jesus, I almost slipped on this apple, and you're broken. I feel like I'm about to do the, when you're broken, you are separated from God, and scripture says there's nothing you could do to get that right standing with God back. So Jesus came in the form of man, lived a perfect sinless life that was even attested to by those closest to him, lived a life you could not live, died the death you should have died on the cross. He didn't just die for you, he died as you. And though he died, he died as a sacrifice for sin, but the thing was, he didn't sin. So sin brings death, but Jesus didn't sin, so death couldn't hold him down. So Jesus, though he physically died, he was spiritually alive. So though he died physically, the power of his spirit being, being cleaned before God rose him up and gave life to his mortal body. And so that's how Jesus rose from the dead and, and Christians believe beat sin, Satan, and death. And so Jesus rose and he died as a, as a sacrifice for our sin, rose and beat death. And so now Jesus reigns supreme. Scripture says that the Father has given him full control, access. He is king of kings. So here's the thing, right? Well, how does that matter to us? Because Scripture teaches us this. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus and, and what Jesus did, all the things that Jesus did, when we put our faith and trust in, in that, we actually do this, jump on the Jesus train. Okay, get on this whole Jesus train, meaning I wrote this down so I wouldn't mess it up. He gives us the opportunity to have our sins forgiven because he, was the, because he was the sacrifice. He gives the opportunity to have right standing with God because he has a right standing with God. He gives God the opportunity to have unlimited access to the Father because he has unlimited access to the Father. This is what it means to be in Christ. It's all that Christ accomplished and, and all Christ is right now, we have that same access to when we put our faith and trust in him. So here's the thing. All Christ has, we can have. 
But what, but here's the thing, what makes it different? You can't earn it. What it simply is, is you simply put your faith and trust in him and it's given to you as a gift. Since Jesus earned it, he can give it freely. So we just have to receive it by grace, meaning you, you can't earn it through faith and trust in him. That's what makes Christianity different is we can't earn it. We simply don't achieve it. We simply receive it. We don't achieve salvation. We receive salvation. And when we say we're in Christ, we're saying all Christ has, we now have. Jesus was the son of God. So when we put our faith in the son of God and what he did, here's the truth. We became sons and daughters through, through, through the son, and now we are now in the adopted family of God. And that word, uh, adoption is so powerful, such an important term in Christianity. Why? Because here's the thing. 1 Corinthians 15, tells us this, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ will, will be made what? Alive. Adam was the first, the, the first representation. He failed. Jesus came. Jesus is called in the New Testament, the new Adam. Why? He did what Adam couldn't do. Jesus obeyed. Jesus obeyed. Here's the thing, Galatians 3 tells us this. So in Christ Jesus, everyone say in Christ. You are all children of God. Say children of God. Through faith, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's, no, not, there's not male or female, for you are all one in who? What this tells us here is in Christ, here, but we were, here's the thing, made image of God, known by God, we're in Christ. So do you know what this ultimately makes us, this combination? You're a child of God. Now, now some of you are like, well, John, what's so exciting about being a child of God? is here's the truth in the son we become sons and daughters in the son we become sons and daughters and now our ultimate identity isn't based on whether we're a male or female whether or not we're rich or poor whether or not we're pretty ugly whether or not we're in, in a relationship or not. All these other cultural distinctions and markers that we now put our faith and trust in to give us an, an identity that aren't bad things, they're good things, but they should be secondary things, take a back seat to the ultimate identity of now being a child of God. Made in God's image, fully known yet fully loved, and in Christ Jesus means you have full access to the benefits that Christ earned and Christ freely gives you. The benefits he has of being a child of God, being the son of God, are now given to you as children of God because of your faith and trust through Christ. Ephesians 1.5 tells us this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through who? Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Romans 8, 15. Do we have that one? 
says it here, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Like John, this is a lot of theology. Can you tell me what this actually means for my practical life? I'd be glad to. Can we have keyboard come up or kind of, you know, I'm not, how many worship team? Whoever's coming up, just hold me accountable. Here's what this does practically for us. When you have your identity, not built on secondary good things, but built on the ultimate thing that you are a child of God, image known, loved, or excuse me, image known in Christ, it settles the angst of trying to find an identity in this identityless world. Instead of building your value and worth on an, on, an, on, on an identity that is finite and at any moment can be taken from you because we live in a broken world, you have an identity that is solid and secure and unshakable and unbreakable. Who is going to steal the fact that you are a child of God? Romans 8 tells us, tells us this. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. And here's the thing. I just believe if we have a church full of Christians who understand who they are in Christ, understand that they are co-heirs with Christ, they're not little just people that are like, oh God, please be nice to us. Please, we'll give you a, we'll give you a few things. Just please be nice to us. But, but instead we come as bold children before our God. Have you ever seen bold kids? My son Jackson asks for everything. He is bold in asking. Dad, can I have chocolate milk? Dad, can I have milk? Dad, can we go to Chick-fil-A? Dad, can we go to chocolate smoothie? Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad, you want to go out and shoot the ball with me? Hey, Dad. Dad, Dad, Dad. He is secure in his identity as my son. So therefore, when he comes to Daddy, he's bold in his asking. He knows his identity. And I believe that God is seeking and searching and wanting to cultivate Christ, Christ followers who know who they are in Christ. Jackson's made in my image. Look at the kid. He's like a walking me. He, he loves rap music and basketball. That was me growing up. I fully know him. I know when he poops his pants. Sorry, Jackson, if you're, I didn't mean to retch out. He's fully known, but fully loved. What I tell him is this, Jackson, I love you all the same, but I've loved you the longest. He's fully loved, but, but, but then too, he's not in, in me. But what I'm saying is, is he, he finds a lot of his identity in his father. That's why dads, you've gotta be there, y'all. You gotta be there as an example for your kids. You don't have to be perfect. Some dads, I think, put this weight on themselves to, to, be, to, be, to be perfect. What your kids need more than anything is your presence. They need you affirming them. They need you there speaking, speaking life into them and celebrating their accomplishments. Just all the things that God does for us. But here's the thing. What if we had a church that is full of people that understood their identity? Known. Image 
and in Christ. A couple things really, really, really quick. I also believe it makes the destination of your journey clear that you realize the journey of your life is not about getting to a place, it's about conforming to a person. And that's Jesus. The purpose and point of your life, understand me church, isn't what you own, where you live, what status you attain, what position in your job. The purpose as a Christ follower is singular in focus of saying conforming to the image of Jesus. Why? Jesus is the clearest image of God. The closer you move in the direction of Jesus, the closer you move to the clearest representation and reflection and image of who God is. And that was your original intended purpose anyway, was to represent God. So as you move closer to to Jesus and become like him in action, thought, motive, word, deed. It shows the world who God is and what God's like. So your journey becomes clear. It's not about a place, it's about in person. And honestly guys, what it, what it does, being a child of God restores this image. Do you know what the crazy thing is and why an identity in Christ is solid and secure? Because now you are just living out of who you already are. Get this church, your identity in Christ as a child of God, you already are that, so now you just live up to it. It changes the way we think about everything. So now it's not like you're a bad person for doing this. Now the conversation's like, you're better than this. You're a child of God. You don't need to use people and abuse people. You've got the God of heaven. You don't need to backbite and be bitter and be angry and keep unforgiveness and use people sexually and just do whatever you gotta do to get money. Do you know who you are? You're a child of God. You don't gotta beg and plead. You gotta just realize who you are and live from who you already are instead of trying to attain this status. You already are so living. It's an upside down kingdom, y'all. Our world tells you do this, do that, and then you'll have. Jesus, Jesus says you already have, now live it out. Thank you again for joining us on the LifeHouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.